Food, restaurants, chefs, and farmers, welcome to REITS Radio, brought to you by Waterloo Region Eats. I'm Andrew Coppolino. This week we head out for a talk with chef and restaurateur Nick Benninger of Waterloo's popular taco farm. This is episode 8. Nick Benninger, along with his wife and business partner, Natalie, own and operate the popular Taco Farm in Uptown Waterloo. The restaurant has been turning out their house-made tortillas for about three years, and it continues to be a fun and delicious venue for Mexican-inspired casual fare. Benninger has also been a leader in the local food and farm-to-fork movement in Waterloo region, and I'm speaking with Nick Benninger right now. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Hey, Andrew. Good. How are you? How's the, how's the taco business? Good. Good. Given a different kind of year for you with the construction uptown, or is that sort of past now? Yeah, uh, it's passing. I think there will be a hangover effect from it, um, because when we saw certain intersections open up, it didn't necessarily change anything. So I think it'll take a while for people to uh, wrap their heads around it. It all—I mean, in fairness, it took a while for people to stop showing up uptown too. Um, for the first little while, we had lots of support. I think people sort of hit a point where they like myself, couldn't take it anymore. They stopped coming. So yeah, it hurt us a bit. Um, But at Taco Farm, we basically put all of our energy into catering and retail sales and stuff like that. So uh, we've kept an even balance sheet kind of thing, um, which actually we feel like it sets us up to be even stronger now that the construction's over is we'll have this growth and and the business will come back. So Is that how the business has evolved? When you started, it was a straight up sort of here's some tacos and some Mexican style food, but you've evolved and turned it into more of a a more disparate kind of wide-reaching business that includes retailing. I think so, yeah. I mean, the retail even hit a point where we had to scale it back a bit. Uh, it, was, it was sort of growing out of our out of our ability to keep up with it. Um, and the catering, yeah. I mean, when we first started, we, we weren't doing caterings. Uh, we even had limited takeout just because we couldn't keep up with what was in-house. Um, so as we came to grips with that, we expanded into catering and it's it's really worked well for us because the food translates so well for it. We just send a bin of hot meat, some salsas and a pack of tortillas and it's a, it's a build your own buffet. So, What is it about tacos? What uh, How do you identify their popularity? I mean, they're crazy wild popular. I think it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of different things that come together. I mean, for one, uh, we're so close to Mexico and, and to the United States where there is a huge Mexican food scene. Um, yet we've really had nothing up here north of the border. Uh, I, I, because we've have, we don't have nearly the Mexican immigrants that they do in the States. So I think that we're all exposed to this cuisine as we travel. Uh, so many Canadians will travel to Mexico or the States and, and fall in love with it. And then you come back here and there's no way to get at it. Um, even making it at home can be difficult because the ingredients are hard to find. So uh, I think the reason you've seen almost straight across the whole country uh, just such a boom in the popularity is because it's... It's a, it's amazing flavors the the sweet the sour the spicy the freshness of it all, um, but we've just been tempted by it for so long with no access to it. So um, we just saw the day the day we opened the doors that that effect come in the door. So um, yeah, I think it was just it was fortuitous of us to pick the right food trend. Um, at the time, we bounced around a few ideas, but I don't think any of them would have would have succeeded the way Taco Farm has. So, and yet you've tried to keep it. Uh, you're very careful to say it's Mexican-inspired. Yeah, we don't want to... I'm a firm believer in the real. I don't, I don't uh, 
like music that's not real. I don't like anything that's not real. So um, the last thing I wanted to do is pretend to be real. So we're not, but we are real. We're real in the sense that we're making real honest food and we're trying our best to, to honor the cuisine. Um, but the last thing I want to do is, is get caught in a lie. Uh, so we've made it very clear in a tongue-in-cheek kind of fun way too, and and you know you use that as a as a point of advertising the the friction of it all. So um, yeah, we've made it very clear from the day one that this is I call it fake Mexican food, um, <laughs> but but we then take accolades from people when we have when we have Mexicans or South Americans in the building, uh, and they they love to let us know how good it is. We we take a lot of pride in it. We just don't want to overstep our bounds or anything. Yeah, I guess actually there's not a lot of Mexicans per se in the region, but there are a lot of Latin, Latinos, Latin Americans, Central yeah. Americans, El Sal- or Salvadorans and That's Hondurans. And exactly. Even the restaurants that we think are authentic Mexican food, and I mean, they're pretty darn close, but they're run by El Salvadorians or Colombians or whatever, um, which is really awesome too, because then you get this blend of cultures. You kind of you go in for the tacos and you find out what a pupusa is, um, and and I think that's been really cool too. But what's interesting is how many of us don't realize that pupusas are Mexican, mm. um, and and the different names. You know, an enchilada in Mexico is totally different than an enchilada in El Salvador. So you end up with this confusing crossover, which which makes for some pretty good tequila fueled arguments. Yeah, <laughs> um, the. Uh the idea of your authenticity probably starts with that machine you've got there, Randy. Um, it's turning out like real stuff. And yeah. I think you're the only one probably in the region that makes its own. Yeah, for cheese. sure we are. Um, for sure we are. So that's where, authentic or not, we're closer to a Mexican taco than I think uh, anyone can make around these parts. And that's what I think that's what resonates so well with, with the Mexican folks that... that don't mind. It's it's interesting when they come in. I'm I'm scared. I, like I, I honestly get oh geez, and I maybe I'll go hide in the office because I don't want them to, to come cut me down for bastardizing their cuisine. But the real the truth of the matter when we start with that tortilla as the as the platform for it, it's it's not only like taste and texture and all the things it's supposed to be, but it's a demonstration of our commitment, I think, to the food is that we are taking it seriously. And and any true taco connoisseur will first bite realize there's something different about it. And uh, it won't take long to figure out that it's that fresh homemade tortilla. Um, And that's what, I mean, even Mexicans in their homes aren't fortunate enough to do that. And maybe they've lost the desire to make it from scratch. Um, But that's what sets us apart for for sure um and from there we you know we may deviate here and there and and use flavors that they're not accustomed to um but but that tortilla is pretty key pushing the taco envelope i guess um just we're at the end of uh, october early november we've come off the day of the dead which is a sort of a big uh festival certainly in mexico uh and i know that you have an event that's associated with it um and that includes the, the tequila part yeah. of your uh, of your menu. Tell us a little bit about what Tequila School is, um, and that thing has grown and kept on quite uh, positively too, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been great. Uh, so Tequila School, um, well, tequila for us first of all is is the backbone of our bar. Um, I mean, beer is really great with tequilas uh, with tacos, but uh, tequila is sort of the I think the symbol of, of Mexico when you think of spirits. So. Um, and it's really an unappreciated thing. Uh, it's it's to they take as much care and concern in its traditions as they do with scotch or bourbon or any of those things. Yet we've sort of view it so poorly. Um, and because we've had access to nothing but garbage tequila, to be honest with you, 
Um, so, and still with people drinking today, if you go to even some of the nicer restaurants and were to ask for tequila, you'd be given this uh, mixed-o product that doesn't, that doesn't stand a chance. Um, so, so we've taken from day one sort of an interest in that. Um, I don't mind to imbibe myself once in a while, so it was a neat treat for me to sort of learn all about tequila and start a, a collecting all of these things for our bar. Um, but early on, we saw reluctance on the customer's part to sort of partake because they were afraid and they, they only thought of tequila as plugging your nose and shooting it back. Um, so, so one of our guys, Ryan, decided that we should start educating people on tequila and the best way to do that might be something called tequila school. So we, we started off really small, I think with a table of 10 um, and me and a friend of mine who knows a little bit more tequila than I did at the time hosted these nights and um, we would pair five courses and do five tequilas tasting um, and, and talk about how it's made, what goes into it, the history of it. Um, and really started opening people up to it. And then we see those people come back to the restaurant, either ordering the tequilas we've showed them or broadening their scope and ordering different ones. So it was, it was a really good effect for us because we were able to increase our in-house tequila schools and just the general awareness of it. And not just that, but we've got people going to the liquor store now asking for brands uh, that, that aren't available and pushing the managers of liquor stores to start ordering mm -hmm. more in, which again, just, just goes down the line of the benefits that it has, not just for us, but for the tequila connoisseur. So um, I've absolutely fallen in love with it. It is without a doubt my favorite uh, spirit. There's no question anymore. Uh, the hangovers, you just don't get them when you're drinking real tequila and it's fantastic. So now we're up Jose to... Cuervo, uh, yeah, exactly. So now we're up to, uh, we sell out the whole restaurant, uh, about 60 seats each time. We've had all kinds of different brands come in and help us host. Um, and we've had some really fun, exciting nights and it's become a bit of a... Uh, institution, uh, school <laughs> in town, and people know about it, and it has its own name. So yeah, it's yeah been it does. Fun. Uh, I've done, I've done one, maybe two, and uh, yeah, I think there is a good education element because it is something for me that uh, you know I know scotch a little bit, I know yeah. some whiskey, I know so I know a little bit of wine, a little bit of beer, but that tequila thing is kind of a um, an odd bird, I guess. Yeah. Or you get the you, you sort of start down that high school pathway, yeah. and you never return to it until later, and uh, so it's a good opportunity for people to learn yeah. the true stuff. Um, Let's just you mentioned uh, the sort of changing scope for you in the restaurant there. Um, what about what about the region as a whole? You've been in in this region all of your life. You've cooked here for a decade or two decades, a couple decades, I guess, and you certainly uh, you know have a broad experience. What what do you see right now when you look at the at the scene, the culinary scene here? Um, it's it's grown a lot. Uh, I see good and bad. I think I think it's amazing to see all the growth that we've had. Uh, we've sort of kicked out some of the big box people. In fact, some of them have tried to come to town um, and haven't succeeded, which I don't, I, I don't say is a good thing or a victory or anything like that, but I think it speaks to the fact that um, these people in this, this town want uh, small businesses to succeed and they want to support them and all of that. Um, so in that voice, in that, sort of, in that sort of tone, we've seen a lot of new restaurants open up. Um, that are fantastic. When we first opened, just finding cooks, for instance, was very easy for us because um, we were one of maybe three or four restaurants in town that a young cook would want to work at. Uh, so we had people just knocking on the door all the time. Now it's a competition because there are, I, if I were a young cook, I would easily work at 20 different restaurants in the city that all have something to teach you. Um, they're making real honest food and whether that's 
uh, a style of a home home style diner or a tapas bar or a southern food restaurant. There's there's something out there to be learned all over the place. Um, with stars like Jonathan Gushu coming to town and putting roots down and and really committing. I mean that the Berlin is an example of of a real commitment to the to the core. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a big risk for him to do that, and I think it's paying off. And I think it if it shows to people in the industry and in the dining public um, that this is this is being looked at now. Um, I do think that there's some concern that we've seen a lot of restaurants open, and I'm not sure the like. I'm not sure if there's as many adventurous eaters out there as as there needs to be to fill all those seats. So I would implore the public to you know stop eating at the Boston pizzas as often um, and maybe go try out a local joint more more than you do because they need our help to survive and uh, I think there's some you know um, misconception about the prices of these restaurants because you can easily spend as much at a place like Boston Pizza as you can at a place like Grand Trunk Saloon or Public or Red House um, and I, I think that people need to get that out of their heads and stop assuming it needs to be a special occasion and go to these places. Yeah, it's like the, I think of the keg immediately comes to mind. The power of their advertising, it gets people in there and they, they, they don't realize perhaps until they're in there and their bill is 150 bucks. Yeah. That, well, I could have given that money to somewhere else. Not that there aren't local people yeah. working there at the restaurant, but for them to think first and foremost, that's where I have to go, isn't going to save them any money. No, and I, I, I think too... Um, there, that sometimes people are a little bit scared of what they might get at a restaurant like that. Uh, so the keg offers you some sort of security and and confidence in what you're going to get in the product. The keg, and and you know, frankly, if you want a bowl of French onion soup and a nice beef tenderloin, the keg's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. I haven't eaten at a keg in probably 15 years, but I don't hold grudges against people that do. So, but then you don't really, you can't really attest to the quality of the French. Well, onions. maybe, but <laughs> but I have lasting memories of how oh, good they were uh, when I used to eat there. You're only as um, good as your last meal. <laughs> but the uh, the point, I guess, is that the, there's a question as to what you're going to get if you go to Red House. Are you going to get the steak that you could get at the at the keg? So, when we can get people to stop treating dinner out as such an event maybe and 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 that's i mean god bless the millennials because they do uh they don't they go out they eat out five days a week so they don't worry so much about is this one dinner going to measure up to my expectations mm-hmm. um if you only eat out every six weeks then there is a bit of pressure to make sure it's as good as it was last time is is the meal at the red house or at uptown or a taco farm or at um Public Is it like a piece of art? Is it like making wine in that, yeah, you're striving for consistency, but because of the way the food is sourced and the way it's put together, is it unlike the keg where there is a sort of a system in place where you get a formulaic and very consistent high-volume product that's turned out or not? Oh, for sure. Like I, so I guess what I'm saying is this is the beauty of eating at a restaurant like this because it's a chef trying to put all these ingredients yeah. together under time, under pressure, you know, and not high volume sort of mechanical kind of food. There's more of an art and craft in it than, say, the sort of the mechanism of it in a big restaurant. Yeah, I, and that's good. Like, it's hard to say. Like, we strive for consistency. So we, uh, a chef, Kirsty 
uh, Herb Streit from the Connor Studio said a long time ago to me that uh, someone, someone in the kitchen asked what the garnish was for this dish, and she said, consistency is our garnish. Um, and that stuck with me forever, and I've loved it. Um, we do like to see some sort of organicness to the plates and, mm -hmm. and to, the, to the food you eat here, but I also, I, it, it can't vary so much that you go, oh, shit, this is right. different than it was last sure. time, yeah. and not as good. There's more anchovies than there used to be in the mm -hmm. salad dressing. Um, so there's something to be said about this, the, the mechanicalness of a restaurant. Um, now, the keg is getting in boxes of pre-cut tenderloins that all look exactly the mm -hmm. same, and, and so is that the kind of consistency I want? No. Um, but do I want the medium rare to be the medium rare no matter what? Yes. Um, so, and do I want my sauce to taste perfect every time? Yes. Do, do I want it to taste like, I mean, there's pork chops from local farms we get uh, that depending on the time of year, the fat caps are enormous and the muscle tissue will actually be smaller than it should be. So do I want that? No. Because are you going to like coming into a fat, to a fat ratio on your pork chop that's completely out of whack? Um, and, and what am I going to do with that fat uh, if I can't find ways to use it? Um, so that's where chefs come in. Uh, so we get this fatty pork chop, we trim it all off, we make lardo out of it or whatever you can. Um, and so you as the customer still get just the same pork chop you sort of expected. Um, if I am serving Tamworth pork this week versus Berkshire next week, and I can tell you about that and we can talk about why that's awesome, then then that's the kind of organic and the kind of ebb and flow that I can advertise and work with at my restaurant. But um, there, there does need to be consistency there. And I think that, honestly, is one of the problems with local, with small restaurants, maybe not getting that, um, because that is the security that that, that, hawk, that Maple Leafs fan that wants to go to the keg and drink Bud Light needs in his life. He needs to know that, okay, I actually I went to Red House. Their steak blew my mind. They had Bo's Lug Tread on, which was just like the Keats I've grown accustomed to, and he's a Jays fan too, or whatever. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think some of us lose sight of is that there, we do have to have some mass appeal. It's nice to, it's nice to have a niche market, um, but wouldn't it be nice to also get the, the normal diners, the Joe Blows, those guys in? So. Mm -hmm. what, are, uh, what are your plans for this place? How do you, what do you, what's your approach here now at uh, up, Uptown? Uh, well, Uptown, uh, as, as you know, is we've stopped doing regular dinner services. Um, we now do uh, events, caterings, we still do our brown bag lunches. Um, and it's been working really well for us. So that's the plan for now. Um, all of those sort of facets of the business have the ability to kind of grow into their own thing. So um, if brown bag lunches really take off, then maybe you'll see us doing it five days a week and, and not doing special events as much. Mm. Uh, if the special events prove to be the money, then, then that's what we'll keep doing and, and vice versa. So it's what we've settled into for now is a little bit of all of it. Um, we are trying to ride out the, the storm of what's happened uptown. Uh, the construction and things that we talked about earlier hurt uptown a lot harder than they hurt uh, Taco Farm. Um, so we definitely a big part of it is just sort of pushing through this and seeing what things look like when we come out on the other side. Um, but for now, this has been working really well. We've had a really good response to um, everything. I mean, all of the things have done well. So we've had great caterings in-house, out-of-house. 
so private events here that we're hosting for other people or that we've thrown ourselves. And uh, the brown bag lunches, we've changed the format a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, it's working really well too. We've got people staying now for lunch um, and we're doing caterings for our lunches too. So pushing out just brown bag lunches. What about you? Having fun still? It's been uh, yeah. several years in this location and uh, in the region as a whole. Yeah, I am. I, I, I'm, now, I'm now cooking here again. Uh, as one of the sort of casualties of the changes we've made here is it's hard to keep staff on because the work's uh, rather erratic. Um, so when we do have events and, and caterings, it ends up being me again, um, which I've really found myself enjoying. So I get to put, you know, loud music on and just sit there and cook. Uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I I'm sort of ignoring larger responsibilities at the moment that will come back to haunt me. But uh, in the meantime, it's been a ton of fun and I'm enjoying it a lot. So it's been a refreshing thing. So I got a few questions for you. I'm gonna give them to you, and you got a rapid fire response. Uh, what's in your fridge at home right now? Uh, it's leftover beef roulade and smoked butter mashed potatoes and every condiment you could imagine. The roulade, is that a leftover from Oktoberfest? It's a leftover <laughs> from a dinner here the other oh. night, actually, yeah. So we were fortunate enough to bring some home. It's a family favorite. Do you have a cooking idol? Uh, yeah, I probably would have to say Mario Batali is someone that I've always looked up to a lot. His food's pretty awesome. If you weren't a chef, what would you like to be? Uh, <laughs> I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster, uh, so calling the Leaf games, but, uh, but also I'd settle for rock and roll DJ. Favorite snack food? Uh, chips, salt and vinegar. And favorite beverage? Uh, cold beer. Nick, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, best wishes always and continued success with, uh, with your ventures, both here and at uh, Taco Farm as well. Awesome. Good luck to you. Thank you.